Today we are coming to our third and final look at this, uh, this glorious passage, which has been called a mountain peak in biblical revelation. Uh, Paul is describing here for us the Christian life in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've seen that Paul uses these three prepositions, and we've looked at two of them. Uh, we've looked at Christ for me. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. The very foundation of the Christian life, not what I have done, but what Jesus Christ has done for me. For me he lived and for me he died. And beyond that, we also can say with the Apostle Paul as believers, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, if I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a reality that has already taken place. It's something that has been done to me, and it is a gospel reality. I have been literally crucified together with Christ. I have been co-crucified with him. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just a, an objective fact of history on which my faith is based. It is a reality in which I have shared. I have died, and that defines the life I now live. And that brings us to the third preposition. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is now the, the formative, defining principle of my life. The old me is gone, and the life I now live, I live with Christ living in me, and I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so today we turn to this third uh, preposition, Christ in me. It's a statement that is packed full of hope and encouragement for the Christian life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And before we read this verse together once again, though, let me uh, lead us in prayer. Please join me. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the wondrous truth of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Take the truth of your word and transform our minds today and stir our affections. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us by your grace to live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, Galatians chapter 2, uh, reading verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, I want to begin this morning with a question. What does it mean to be a Christian? And if somebody asked you that question, I wonder how you would respond. At the most basic, fundamental level, what does it mean to be a Christian? There are lots of answers, I think, to that question. I think many of us would probably uh, initially respond and say, well, a Christian is someone who uh, repents of sin and puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and has God is their Father and the Holy Spirit in their life. Uh, someone else might say, well, you know, being a Christian is, means you're baptized and you do religious things. 
Or somebody else might say, well, Christianity is more about what you do. So really, a Christian is someone who not just believes, but someone who you know, cares for the needy, cares for the oppressed, and so on. All those things, I, I, we want to say all those things contain some truth, don't they? A Christian is somebody who uh, turns from sin and trusts in Christ. Uh, a Christian who is obedient to God's word is someone who has been baptized and belongs to a local church and cares about social issues, cares about the needy and the oppressed. But what I want to say to you today is none of those things actually describe at the most basic fundamental level what a Christian actually is. At the most basic fundamental level, the way the Bible describes a Christian is that they are someone in Christ. They are someone united to the Lord Jesus Christ in union and communion with the Lord Jesus. And so today, as we look at this third description of the Christian life, Christ living in me, I want us to look at it within the context of uh, a believer's union with Christ because it is the reality, really, that undergirds this aspect of the Christian life, Christ living in me and me in Christ. So what I want to do today is uh, ask two uh, basic questions. Number one, what is union with Christ? And number two, what are some implications of that union? And uh, <clears throat> as we do this, again, as I said before I read, I, I want us to see this this idea of Christ living in me, I want us to try to take in the, the glory of this reality and how it empowers us to live the Christian life because Christ, who is our life, lives in us. So let's begin, though, with this question. What is this union with Christ? Thought about it, thought about it a little bit last week. I think it's fair to say that... Um, Union with Christ is not something Christians talk a lot about today. Um, I think it's also fair to say it, it's really fallen out of a lot of Christians thinking about what it means to be a Christian. I want to, uh, I don't usually do this, but I want to string together a few quotes here for you. Uh, and I want you to listen to what is said here about union with Christ. And many of these quotes come from prior centuries. But listen to what some Christians in the past have said. That indwelling of Christ in our hearts, that mystical union, is accorded by us the highest degree of importance. Another one. By virtue of the believer's union with Christ, he doth, you know it's old because there's that word doth, he doth really possess all things. Being in Christ and united to him is the fundamental constitution of a Christian. Union with Christ is right at the center of the Christian doctrine of salvation. There are no benefits of the gospel apart from union with Christ. Union with Christ is the fountainhead from which flows the Christian's every spiritual blessing. One more, union with Christ is the greatest, most honorable, and most glorious of graces. So clearly, Christians in the past thought union with Christ is a pretty big deal. Central to the doctrine of salvation. From it flow all of the blessings of the gospel. No union, no blessings of the gospel. Uh, it is the 
fundamental constitution of the Christians, the most glorious of graces. And when we look at the New Testament, we see that confirmed when we read the New Testament closely, because you notice phrases like in Christ and with Christ, and images of union with Christ are everywhere in the New Testament. It is a keynote idea, and it is the most common description of what it means to be a Christian. But again, okay, so what does it mean, though? What, what does it mean to be united to Jesus Christ? How are we connected to Jesus? So the question I want us to ask, and trying to answer that, what I want to do is give you five dimensions of union with Christ that I pray will help us understand this incredible reality that should fill us with wonder, love, and praise. This is... Uh, union with Christ is at the very heart of the gospel, at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. So what does it mean? Well, number one, union with Christ means that Christ is your federal head. And what I mean by that is Christ is your representative. Christ is a designated, appointed head of a great host of people. And his victories are their victories. His accomplishments are their accomplishments. He acts on the behalf of his people. In the Bible, parallels Christ representing his people with Adam representing the entire human race. By nature, we are all in Adam. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, for as in Adam all die. Adam was appointed by God as a federal representative of all humanity so that his actions and his life had implications for all of those united to him. Okay, so all mankind is, is represented either by Adam or by Christ. We are either in Adam or in Christ. But how does this federal headship, how does this representative headship work? I'll try to give you a couple of illustrations. Here, the first one's a biblical example. I want you to think about the story of David and Goliath. I think this illustrates well what we mean by a representative leader. You remember what Goliath did? Goliath mocked the armies of Israel and, and went on to say, if, if I triumph, then all of Philistia will triumph with me. And if David triumphs, then all of Israel will triumph with him. So David represented all of Israel. He acted on their behalf so that his victory would be their victory. The people of Israel would all benefit from David's conquering Goliath. Even though, when you think about it, even though uh, the armies of Israel didn't participate in the battle, they could say at the end, in David, we have conquered, we have won a great victory. And so union with Christ, it means that Jesus is your representative head and what Jesus does as your representative has implications and benefits for you if you're united to him. His victory over Satan and sin and death is your victory over Satan, sin, and death while he gets all of the glory. Let me try to illustrations help me so let me try to illustrate this another way and I've I think I've shared this illustration with some of you before I want you to think about two trains pulled by two different locomotives okay 
Adam is the first locomotive, and the human race is hitched to the Adam train. So that where uh, Adam goes, the human race goes. And we are, think of yourself as this way, by nature we are all, I don't know, carriages, carts, what do they call them? Um, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, all attached to the Adam locomotive. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is the Bible tells us where the Adam train is going. Right? The Adam train is, is the way to death and condemnation. So what's the good news of the gospel? The good news of the gospel is that God unhitches you from Adam and connects you to Christ. And when you are connected to Christ, you now are headed to an entirely different destination where he is going, he goes first, and he brings you with him. He is your representative, your leader, and where Christ goes, you go. All right, so that's the first idea I want us to think about when it comes to union with Christ. He is our federal head or our representative. Number two, union with Christ is by faith. What I mean by that is we are united to Christ when we believe in Christ. You know, the Bible does talk about um, an eternal aspect to union. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. The Bible does talk about our union with Christ and his death and resurrection. But union with Christ becomes a spiritual reality in each of our lives when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Now you remember last week when we talked about the language of the New Testament regarding the object of our faith. The New Testament has a lot of ways to talk about believing in Christ. We believe in Christ, trust in Christ, lean upon him, call upon him, confess him. But the predominant way the New Testament talks about believing in Christ is literally we believe right into Jesus Christ. We, we put our trust in him. It's trust in Christ as we repent of our sin that unlinks us from the Adam train and connects us to Christ. It is by faith that we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive everything he is for us and what he is doing in us. You know, in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 30, you know, Paul, Paul, Paul says uh, that Christ is our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. And we think about it, that those are God's most fundamental, gracious provision for our sin. Righteousness to save us from the guilt of sin. Sanctification to deliver us from the power of sin. Redemption to deliver us even one day entirely from the presence of sin. And ask yourself the question, how do I come to receive those blessings of the gospel? How do I come to receive justification, sanctification, and adopt, or redemption? What's the answer? The answer is by taking hold of a person. You understand that the blessings of the gospel are not these abstract benefits that are divorced from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our sanctification. Jesus is our redemption. And the way we come to receive those blessings of the gospel is by believing right into the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so the way that we receive the blessings of the gospel is by believing in the person of the gospel, who is Jesus Christ himself. And number three, regarding union with Christ. Union with Christ, it's, it's not only a personal union, it's also a corporate union. Here's what I mean by that. When we personally are united to Christ by faith, we are simultaneously joined to fellow members of the body of Christ. We are united uh, to those who have also put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are profoundly one in Jesus Christ. And so union with Christ, here's what I want you to understand. I'm getting a little bit into the implications here, but that's okay. One of the implications of union with Christ is that it is the key, it is the foundation of true Christian fellowship. Now Paul applies this idea of union with Christ in many different places in this way, but I just want to mention one in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, talking about the body of Christ imagery, which is, of course, all tied up in union with Christ. Christ is the head. We are the body. And Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Calvin has this really great phrase. Um, try to see if I, see if I can remember it. Um, he says that God has so ordered the church that we are all mutually dependent upon one another. Virtue of our union with Christ. And, and yet, what I want to suggest and think about with you for a minute is, you know, I think there are many problems the church faces today, but two major problems are the issues of individualism and division. I think individualism and division uh, plagues the church of Jesus Christ today. And many Christians live as if there were no body of Christ. No, no temple of the living God of which Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. No blood-bought family that Jesus Christ purchased on the cross. And as a result of that, the Christian life becomes all about me and Jesus and my personal faith and not so much about me, Jesus, and Jesus' blood-bought family and so in our individualistic age, Christians go on living with little sense of the social reality and the social implications that are brought about by our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first problem. But then there's also the problem of division in the church. Christians fighting, Christians holding grudges against one another, Christians refusing to speak one another, Christians... Christians refusing to resolve differences with one another. Christians tearing down one another with their words. Christians treating one another as second-class citizens. I mean, we go on and on and on in ways that division manifests itself in the church of Jesus Christ. But, you know, why, why are individualism and, and division problems in the church today? Okay, we could say because we're sinners. Yes, for sure, that's true. But I think another key part of the answer is that we've, we've forgotten the reality of our shared union with Jesus Christ and what that inevitably means for our relationships with one another. Friends, if we could, if we could just take in the reality of what it means that we are bound to Christ and in Christ bound to one another, don't, don't you think, don't you think that that would 
radically transform how we live with one another, how we treat one another, and how we love one another. The gospel tells us that Christ not only died to reconcile us to God, he also died to reconcile us to one another. And that's often, I think, forgotten uh, in the church today. That has massive implications for our fellowship then. It, It should mean that each of us will bend over backwards and go to great, great lengths to maintain unity and fellowship in the church of Jesus Christ. So when I look at a fellow believer, what I should be seeing is someone that Jesus Christ loves, someone that Jesus Christ loves so much that he died for them, and someone that Jesus Christ is pleased to dwell in. Think about that for for a minute. Despite all of their baggage, despite all of their struggles, despite all of their weaknesses, despite perhaps all of the ways they have even wronged me, when I look at a brother or sister in Christ, I am looking at someone Jesus Christ shed his blood for and is pleased to dwell in. So how, how dare I reject that person? You see, if if we grasp the implications of our shared union with Christ, it will mean that our fellowship with one another will not be merely based upon shared opinions, shared hobbies, shared patterns of life, which sadly is what connects many Christians today. What will actually hold us together in fellowship is the deep, deep reality of our shared union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And and therefore, to live isolated or to be divided is to live contrary to a reality for which Jesus Christ died, to make us one. Number four here. uh, Union with Christ means, and here we're getting into our, our text, union with Christ means Christ lives in you by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Union with Christ means not only that I am in Christ, but that Christ is in me. I in him, he in me. And this idea of being in Christ and Christ dwelling in us is something that Jesus himself taught during his earthly ministry. John 15, he talked about this, you know, this imagery. Um, about abiding in him, that he is the vine and and we are the branches. And as we abide in him and he in us, the result will be a faithful life lived to the glory of God. And, And then in that same section of John's gospel, though, the wider context, what's Jesus up to? Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And so think for a moment as one of those disciples, what you've done is you have forsaken everything to be with Jesus Christ. You've left it all behind in order to follow him, in order to be with him, in order to be beside him. And so for three years, you have followed after Jesus. You've forsaken everything in order to be with him. And now Jesus says to his disciples, I am going somewhere that at least for now, you cannot go. You cannot follow me. Imagine how devastating that would have been to the disciples hearing that news from from their master, from their teacher. And to comfort them, Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you. And and John 15, 19, a little later, he says, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, referring, I think, to the day of Pentecost, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And the disciples, okay, that's, we read that, and it's, what's, what's Jesus getting at here? And the disciples are trying to understand it. How will that be, Jesus? How will, you, how will you reveal yourself to us? How will you manifest yourself to us? And Jesus answered in verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. How will Jesus manifest himself to his disciples? By coming to live within them. By coming to make his home with them. That's that's what it means to be a Christian, dear friends. To have Christ come to live in your life. That's what Jesus is promising his disciples here. And it's true. If you're a believer, Jesus lives in you. And he is at home in your life. Later in John 17, Jesus speaks about the same reality using this phrase. I in them. Twice. I in them. And so I think this is a reality We need to try to take in, if we're Christians, that Jesus Christ has come to dwell in you. He has come to take his home in your life. He's not a a distant, removed Savior. He is present in your life, dwelling in you every moment of, of every day. But the question is there for all of us. How can that be? How do we understand this? How is it that Jesus Christ comes to live in our lives. And the answer that the New Testament gives us is by the Holy Spirit. I want you to see one place in the New Testament where this is made clear. Turn to, turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. Romans chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. These are some... Uh, Dense verses, so we're just trying to pull one thing out of them here. Listen closely to what Paul says in Romans 8, verses 8 through 10. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, so there's Paul talking about the indwelling of the Spirit. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Okay, so if the Spirit of God, or as Paul says, the Spirit of Christ doesn't dwell in you, you don't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now you catch what Paul said there. The Spirit of God dwelling in you, or the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you, is synonymous with Christ himself dwelling within you. You see, so the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Christ, is the, the real living bond between Jesus and our resurrected Lord who sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. And, and the persons of Jesus and the Holy Spirit are so united together in their ministry and purpose that for the Holy Spirit to dwell in you is equivalent to the very presence of Christ coming into your life. The Spirit brings the presence of Christ into our lives. And so if the Spirit dwells in you, Christ dwells in you. That's what uh, 
Jesus was talking about in, back in John's gospel when he promised that another helper, another counselor, another uh, paraclete would come because he's promised by Jesus to come and dwell in the lives of believers. I just want you to, I want to pause and, and savor this truth for a moment in order for us to try to grasp the wonder of it. I mean, the Holy Spirit was upon the Lord Jesus throughout his life and ministry. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit who was there at the human conception of Jesus as he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary as the head of a new creation. This is the same Holy Spirit who, who taught Jesus wisdom as he grew in stature and wisdom uh, or, or stature and favor with God and man. This is the same Holy Spirit who, who came upon the Lord Jesus in a fresh way to empower him for his ministry at his baptism. This is the same Holy Spirit who, who led and even drove Jesus into the wilderness to overcome the powers of darkness. This is the same Holy Spirit by whom Jesus cast out demons and healed the sick and raised the dead. This is the same Holy Spirit by whom Jesus offered up himself as a sacrifice to God on the cross. And it is the same Holy Spirit that in power raised Jesus Christ from the dead and vindicated his life and ministry. And do you, do you grasp it? There's only one Holy Spirit. Jesus sends the very same Holy Spirit to now dwell in the lives of his people. The same Holy Spirit who was with Jesus for 33 years of ministry on earth, Jesus says, I am going to give you that same divine power as you live the Christian life. It's incredible when you, when you try to take it in what Jesus is promising his disciples that the same Holy Spirit that was with Jesus throughout his life and ministry is the same Spirit who comes to dwell in you and take everything Jesus Christ has done and work it into your life. And that leads me to the last thing I want to say here before we get to a couple implications. Um, number five, union with Christ then is inevitably transformational. In other words, union with Christ uh, changes who we are and how we live. Inevitably so. Jesus says in John 15, 5 again, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You understand that. Apart from union with the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I can do nothing. That's what Jesus is saying. But united to Christ... As branches united to the life-giving vine. This is in, remember, the, we used this word the other week. It's an indicative statement. It's a statement of fact. It's a reality. If you are united to Christ, you will bear fruit, Jesus is saying. I don't know about you, that that, that offers me a great deal of encouragement and hope in, in living the Christian life. That not only are my sins forgiven in Jesus Christ, but that the dominion of sin in my life has been shattered. And the life I now live, I live in union with the life-giving Son of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that's different from what 
At least I used to think about the Christian life. I'll, I'll pick on myself here. I mean, here's how I used to envision living the Christian life. Here was my incentive. Uh, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus gave up everything for me. And, and now, therefore, in response to his great sacrifice, I need to live a life of obedient gratitude. Now, all of that's true, dear friends. Don't mishear me. All of that is true. That Jesus died for my sins, that Jesus gave up everything that I might be forgiven and that I should respond with a life of obedient gratitude. But you understand that the doctrine of union with Christ has more to say to you. It has more to say to you that that just your sins are forgiven. It says to you that you are in union and communion with Jesus Christ who is your righteousness and who is your sanctification. He is the life-giving vine. He is the one who takes the benefits of his redemption and by the Holy Spirit applies it to your life so that there is real hope to live to God, to live by faith and to make progress in the Christian life as we seek to grow in holiness. So I just want you to, do you see the, whole, the, the hope this gives you for living the Christian life? Union with Christ, dear friends, means you are not your own on your own. Jesus Christ is with you. Jesus Christ is united to you. And so as you wage war against sin, and as you strive after holiness, there will be fruit, Jesus is saying. And if you're taking notes, maybe this is one thing you can write down as we think about this. Union with Christ is the gospel guarantee that you will have fruit in your Christian life. Union with Christ. Let me put it another way. Christ is the gospel guarantee that you can and will change. And so union with Christ it really is one of the most practical truths for living the Christian life. I think it's more practical than the piles of how to live the Christian life books that perhaps many of us have read through because so many of them are not rooted in the reality of our union with Christ, that we are so related to him that we have died and that we have been raised to newness of life and that the life I now live, I live in union with Jesus Christ, who is my life. And so let's just, uh, let me uh, briefly here mention a few implications of our union with Christ. I won't be able to say all of them, so let's just look at a few. Um, Number one, I, I, hope, I hope that you sense this as we thought about it. Union with Christ, it should fill us with wonder and awe, shouldn't it? When we really, when we really think about it, I, I am, I was tempted, you know, forget a sermon. Just come and say, Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you and say it again and again and again until the reality of it begins to dawn upon us and the wonder of it. Despite, despite all my failures, despite my unworthiness, despite my weakness, despite indwelling sin, despite my fumblings and bumblings in the Christian life, Christ is pleased to dwell in me. Christ is pleased to dwell in you and my friends, that reality, it should make us the most wonder-filled people on earth. That Christ would see fit 
to make his home with the likes of us. Number two, and this is um, an application we're going to take from 1 Corinthians. Union with Christ is incentive for fleeing sexual immorality. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul tells the Corinthians, you are members of Christ. You are united to Christ. You are one with Christ. And he's dealing there pastorally with an an issue that was a live issue in the church of of Corinth. Uh, Some of them were going to prostitutes. Uh, uh, And you know that uh, for, for many of them as a you know, part of their former life, this was, this was a part of their lives. Sexual immorality, going uh, and, and sleeping with prostitutes. Such were some of you, you remember Paul said, but no more. Uh, but you know that when a person becomes a Christian, sometimes old patterns of sin don't just you know, disappear um, as we become Christians. And so Paul is writing to them and he's saying, you can no longer live like that. You can no longer walk in that way of life. But what's the incentive that Paul gives the Corinthian believers? It's utterly shocking when you really listen to what Paul says to the folks in Corinth. Paul essentially says that when you go and visit a prostitute, that you can't leave Jesus at the door and then meet him again on your way out. He says, when you go to visit a prostitute, you take Jesus with you. You drag him into it. You sin in union with Christ. You go to a prostitute in union with Christ. You look at pornography in union with Christ. When you use your body for sexual sin, you bring the name of Jesus Christ into disrepute. You know, when just saying it that way, it's jarring, isn't it? When you think about how Paul is putting it, but that's the incentive Paul uses. Everything you now do in the body, you do in union with Christ. Therefore, what's Paul's conclusion? Glorify God with your bodies. Because, my friends, our union with Christ is not just this spiritual, uh, immaterial thing. We are united to Jesus in body and in soul. And what we do in the body, we do in union with Christ. Number three, uh, union with Christ helps us understand the ongoing conflict of the Christian life. Uh, There's a theologian who puts it this way. He said, one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life is this. Sin dwells in the believer. Christ dwells in the believer. Now, do you ever ask ask yourself, why is there such a struggle? Why is there such a holy dissatisfaction with the progress that I'm making in my life? Why is there such a daily struggle in my life as a Christian? I think the indwelling presence of the Spirit of Christ is the explanation. (laughs) See, because of what God is doing in Christ and by his Spirit in your life, sin is now an unwelcome guest, an unwelcome presence in your life. The sin that once dominated you, the sin that once characterized your life and ruled over you, that rule has been broken And Christ, by his spirit, is leading you into war against that sin. And so this is why I've said to you, I think the way you ought to think about the Christian life is that it is the war of a lifetime. That's what the Christian life is, the war of a lifetime, because sin indwells, but now the spirit of the living God dwells in you. And so my dear friend, some of us, I think, need to hear this today. Don't 
don't be discouraged when you find yourself battling sin. Because the battle with sin in your life is itself one of the primary evidences that Christ by his spirit has come into your life. And so there it is. As we look at this passage, there's more implications, but I need to, I need to wrap up here. Uh, the Christian life in three prepositions. Christ for me, crucified with Christ, Christ in me. And undergirding all of it, dear friends, is the glorious reality of our union and communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is the gospel that Paul preached. And this is the gospel that defines the Christian life. And my friends, what a glorious, glorious gospel it is. God in Christ and by the Spirit has given us everything we need in answer to sin. And so let's look to the Lord Jesus Christ and by God's grace live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the riches of our union with Christ. And we pray that more and more we would live in light of its reality and in step with that reality. That we are those who with Christ died to sin and have been raised and that Christ now by the Spirit lives within us. And so help us daily to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.